This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, the summertime tick season and why those tiny bugs can cause more harm than you think. If you have tick paralysis and the tick is not removed, then death is possible. The scary reality of tick paralysis when Radio Health Journal returns. I'm Reed Pence, host of Radio Health Journal. If you enjoy Radio Health Journal, you'll also like our sister show. Here's a preview of what they're covering on Viewpoints this week. This week on Viewpoints. The issues are very serious, but there may be an advantage creatively to be playful, to be surprising. Serious play, using theater performance to advance social movements and civil rights. Then... How diversity in picture books can influence a child's perspective on social issues for years to come. These stories in depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. Listen to Viewpoints on your favorite radio station, iTunes and Stitcher. Experts say there are 899 species of ticks in the world. 90 of those species are found in the United States. Ticks are well-known bloodsuckers, parasites of humans, pets, and wild animals, and they can cause more harm than you think. Tick paralysis is a disease that is acquired from a tick bite that, as its name implies, causes paralysis that is fortunately reversible if you make the diagnosis soon enough. That's Dr. Mark Dworkin, an infectious disease specialist at the University of Illinois at Chicago School of Public Health. What's going to happen is that if someone gets bitten by certain kinds of tick in certain areas of the world, especially in the Pacific Northwest and also in uh, Australia, you can have a slow, gradual, unannounced paralysis occur. I say unannounced because when we get tick-borne diseases, it's not unusual that somebody might get a fever and get an infection and people begin to wonder, you know, have they been bitten by a tick because they may have been out in the woods. But in this case, someone's often going to wake up in the morning and find that they can't move their legs properly, that they're weak. There's often a description of trying to put their legs on the floor and trying to stand up and they uh, are wobbly or they uh, fall down. Waking up with the inability to walk is alarming enough, but if tick paralysis isn't diagnosed and treated quickly, things can get worse. The disease starts with the paralysis in the legs, but it climbs up the body, making muscles not work properly such that eventually... Even the respiratory muscles, the ones for breathing, will be weakened. And just like with a polio patient years ago, they could succumb to death from not being able to breathe from this climbing or what we call ascending paralysis. Dworkin says tick paralysis is the result of a neurotoxin produced in the saliva of a female tick, which is transmitted during feeding. And right about now, in the summertime, is when people are most likely to be bitten. That's when female ticks are more prevalent, and it's the female tick that does this particular biting. They're looking for a meal of blood because they want to hatch their eggs, and so they need this blood meal for that purpose in their life cycle. The types of ticks that have been associated with tick paralysis in the United States, there's uh, two ticks that uh, we know of that transmit 
tick paralysis in the U.S. One of them is called Dermacenter andersoni, which is more commonly referred to as the Rocky Mountain wood tick, and that is seen in the Northwest. And then there's another tick called Dermacenter variabilis, and that is known as the American dog tick, and that has been uh, associated with tick paralysis in the Southeast. Doctors aren't universally required to report cases of tick paralysis, so there's no reliable data on how often or where it occurs. However, Dworkin says the disease is rare, and that makes it difficult to diagnose. In the emergency room, the doctor's going to be thinking about a number of different diagnoses. And unless it's a fairly savvy doctor, tick paralysis is not always going to be at the top of their list because there's other things that are more common than that and should be considered first. Like there's a syndrome called Guillain-Barre syndrome, which can overlap with these symptoms. Once a patient's diagnosed with tick paralysis, finding the tick is essential. They're most commonly found on the back of the neck, behind the ear, or in the groin area. Once the tick is found, treatment is simple. The treatment is simply the removal of the tick. It doesn't require anything else. That leads to cure, gradually but progressively, just as it ascended, it will descend. The recovery period is typically within a day and a half. Much or all of one's paralysis should be cured. So if you find a tick on your body, it's crucial that you remove the tick with caution. Removal of ticks is best done very carefully in order not to risk breaking the tick. The worst scenario is that any sort of rough process is used, such as even grabbing the tick and pulling it off with your fingers, because there's the concern that the mouth parts may remain in the skin and you'll get the rest of the tick out, but not the mouth parts. One good method is to use uh, tweezers and to grip the tick at the skin's edge and pull. Parents need to be especially careful because children, especially girls, are most prone to get tick paralysis. The reason for that is that children are obviously smaller. They have less body weight than an adult. But the tick toxin is the same dose per hour of bite that's going in, regardless of the size of the body it's biting. So for a child, they're going to be getting more dose of toxin per body weight per unit time. And for girls, they're at higher risk than boys because they more often have long hair. And by having long hair, the appearance of a tick is hidden. And so it may be a longer period of time before anybody realizes they have a tick because they have to go hunting for it in their hair. So unless an adult is thinking about that routinely and looking for ticks in their hair, like the behind the ear and the neck, then they wouldn't just notice it on the body and pull it off. That gives the tick more time, you know, for the toxin to accumulate in the body and for symptoms to occur. That makes prevention from ticks much more important. Dworkin says the best way to avoid ticks is by wearing long pants and long sleeve shirts when going out in tall grass and wooded areas. Insect repellent containing DEET is another good way to keep ticks away. Frequent tick searches after being out in nature can also save you from tick bites. If you can identify and remove a tick early on, there isn't time for the tick to cause paralysis. You can find out more about all our guests on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. You'll find archives of our shows there as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. 
Our writer-producers this week are Ariana Kraft and Hannah Swarm. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. A first-ever large-scale study of dementia rates among older lesbian, gay, and bisexual adults finds they are similar to rates in the general population, but their access to health care may be markedly less. Research reported at the 2018 Alzheimer's Association International Conference finds that high rates of depression, stroke, and heart disease in the study population may contribute to the level of dementia. Dr. Heather Snyder of the Alzheimer's Association. The number of people living with Alzheimer's disease dementia is increasing, as is the population of LGBT older adults. Respectful and responsive healthcare outreach to LGBT communities could result in earlier diagnosis and better outcomes. LGBT individuals access services such as healthcare less often than others and are twice as likely to age alone. Their unique challenges make access to information and resources a challenge. This underscores the Alzheimer's Association's role for the LGBT community as a place to turn for guidance and support. Do you often misplace your keys, forget names, or lose your train of thought? You may be one of over 10 million Americans with undiagnosed MCI, or mild cognitive impairment. The Banner Alzheimer's Institute estimates 65% of MCI patients eventually develop dementia. But the good news, according to Ohio State University neurologist Dr. Douglas Share, is... While there's currently no cure for Alzheimer's disease, the most common type of dementia, the earlier we detect mild cognitive impairment, the better chance we have to treat it and delay progression of the disease. Fortunately, there's now a 15-minute at-home screening test called Brain Test, clinically validated to detect MCI. And for a limited time, you can receive a 30-day free trial to Brain Test by visiting braintest.com. The sooner you screen, the more treatment options available, so don't delay. Again, for your 30-day free trial, visit braintest.com. That's braintest.com. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTracks Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.